Hello and welcome to the show on a very special day indeed. It's the podcast's third birthday. Yes, it feels like this thing's been going on for decades, but today's three years to the day since I released my first episode, and what a ride it's been. I wanted to take this chance to thank all of my guests, and of course all of you, the listeners that make it all worthwhile putting this out there in the first place. And if you're a new listener, don't forget to head over to onenightinproduct.com after you've listened to this episode and make sure you sign up to the newsletter, subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with all your friends so they can join in on the fun too. On tonight's episode, we speak all about the journey to the very top of the product ivory tower and the ever-challenging move from great product manager to the C-suite and some of the ways you might make an impact when you get there. We also talk about Women in Product UK and how they're trying to create an ecosystem around product management and build a strong pipeline for the female product leaders of the future. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Namrata Sama. Namza, product leader, leadership coach, startup advisor, non-executive director, community founder, and general force of nature, who's recently started a hostile takeover of my One Night at the Pub product drinks, therefore proving she's a truly unstoppable force that's already overpowering this here unmovable object. Nam's the founder of Women in Product UK and CPO Track, two online product management communities with which she's hoping to support the wider world of product managers and leaders in their learning journeys, assist with their personal development, and help solve all of their problems. Although since one of my problems is how to keep up with all these product management communities I'm on, I think she's got a work cut out on that one. Hi, Nam. How are you tonight? Hey, Jason. I'm great. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too. It's, it's been too long. <laughs> but first things first, let's set the scene. By day, you are the Chief Product Officer at Into University Partnerships. So what specific problems does Into solve for the world and what kinds of products are you and your team building to help solve them? It's always difficult to kind of answer that in, you know, in, in, in two or three sentences, but I'm going to try. Yes. You can have four or five if you want. <laughs> so, I mean, in a summary, what, so for universities who are our biggest, you know, partners and customers, what we are trying to solve for them is, you know, giving them access to the, you know, the international markets, which is a huge source of students, international students for the most reputed universities in the world. So we work with universities in the UK, US, Australia, the top 100 universities in the world, very competitive to get into. And the universities were quite ambitious about the internationalization plans. And that's exactly where a company like Into comes in, because we effectively help these universities in marketing their brand, promoting their brand, and attracting um, you know, bright international students who would then travel all the way from their home countries to these, you know, the university countries and build a life there, just like what I did, actually, many, many years ago, I came to this country as an international student, loved the country, never left. And now I think I have almost, you know, I have a good set of friends, you know, including yourself, Jason, and I think I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so I'm hoping Into is also instrumental in kind of you know, in kind of creating such experiences for our extremely bright students. So that's what we do from, from a university perspective. And the student, of course, again, you know, gaining, you know, helping them in getting these life experiences because studying abroad is actually not just an academic experience. It's a life experience. People build an entire lifetime in a foreign country, again, just like myself. So for us, these are two big kind of problems, let's say, that into solves. 
And the tech platform, or let's say my you know product team is they sit in the middle of all this because the whole application platform is built by my team, but also you know my team has built an amazing global student community platform, which sits in the heart of whatever we do because that enables our students to talk to each other, make friends even before they have taken that flight, which I think is very powerful because I can tell you one thing, Jason, when I was a student planning to you know visit the UK for the first time and look after universities here, I did not have any such platforms. So it was literally me looking at some brochures, you know, making a mental map of how the UK would be <laughs> and <laughs> just kind of taking, taking a chance on myself. Oh, excellent. So do you feel that that experience, or I guess in some sense, lack of experience with a platform like this, because it didn't exist, but obviously experience of the problems or the issues that someone trying to make that leap do you think that that's really given you a special insight into? Yeah, because you know, there's a danger there, right? That the danger is that you just see everything through the lens of what you experienced when you were coming over. Yeah, and that maybe you kind of see yourself as this kind of archetypal subject matter expert, and you just know everything. So, do you feel that you've managed to, I guess, kind of mix up that experience that you've had with being super curious and encouraging your team to be super curious to make sure that they're yeah solving the real problems that people are having today? Absolutely. And, you know, my student days were also very different. It's almost prehistoric now, right? When you look at, <laughs> when you look at the developments now in tech and everything, you know, it, it does feel like a, a million uh, moons ago. So definitely, yeah, the, the team is very curious and they are very much focused on the problem that they're trying to solve. So we don't look at things just from a solution perspective. It's not what Nam said, you know, that this was Nam's experience or this was my experience as a, as a student. It, it's not based on that. It's completely based on, I mean, every student is very different. I think every student's motivation to study abroad is very different as well, you know, and it's so fascinating because we get, you know, a lot of our master's student, post-grad students, they are very focused on building careers in a foreign country, you know, because they want to make some good money. They want to build a good career and pay off their education loans quick. But then when you speak to some of our undergrad students who could be as young as 17, you know, 17 and a half, 18. A lot of those students actually don't think about their career at that age. I mean, I did not, for sure. You know, <laughs> and they're too young. So for them, it's more of a life experience. For them, they are more excited about the fact that they're going to make new friends. A lot of students are excited, especially coming to UK, is because they can travel Europe. So, you know, so they have very different reasons why they are studying abroad. So it's quite fascinating to see how the different types of students have different needs from us. And I think the challenge for us as an organization is how can we meet all these different expectations? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, challenge is a good word. I mean, everything that you just said sounds fantastic. Now, obviously, I'm in the UK and don't have to face some of these challenges. But at the same time, we also get into university and we also have many of the same experiences within university, I guess, and like that kind of dichotomy between career versus education or just getting experiences. I mean, certainly when I went to university for the first time, I mean, I've dropped out twice. So the first time I went to university, <laughs> it was very much all about like going to a cool city and, and experiencing that. And I know you went to Manchester, yeah. where I went to Liverpool, fantastic city. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a really good formative experience. But at the same time, everything that you've just said sounds very different to kind of a your average sort of SaaS company, the sort of company you might see in some of these books out there, the, the kind of classic advice talking about all the yeah. fairly straightforward sounding acquisition loops that they can get and all of the standard kind of SaaS problems that you might get. 
what was it that attracted you to take on a challenge as big as the challenge that you've taken on with all of the many moving parts that I presume that it has? It's a very interesting question, you know, and I asked this question to myself five or six times before actually accepting this offer, you know, <laughs> which was like summer of, well, I think sometime in 2021. And, you know, I mean, one of the main reason is um, transformation. So I always call myself a transformation focused CPO. And that's because I've done about three different transformations so far in different sectors and very complicated sectors, actually. And, and I like that kind of a challenge. I think I like complex environments. And so transformation was one of the main reasons why I wanted to join, because I feel like traditional sectors, you know, like educational healthcare, they are they really need to transform for the better, for the good. They, you know, there are lots of opportunities where people like myself and you, you know, I think we have we have a different way of thinking. We do we see things differently compared to many other people. And I think we are in a very unique position to make some real changes and make those changes fast, you know. So I think that was one of the reasons why I was attracted to this. And the second reason is, you know, when I join a job, I always think about the next step. So for me, it's always about, okay, if I join this company and, and, and do this role, what might be my next? That's always in my head, you know. So I think for an opportunity like this, it's very broad remit. It's not like a typical CPO role. So for me, it was quite clear that, okay, if I do this role properly and get all these amazing experiences, it might actually prepare me for something much bigger for my next one, you know, for my next role. So for me, it was, I think that was the main driving force, you know, why I decided to you know, join this company. And, you know, I've done SaaS before. I have done marketplaces. I've done subscriptions, B2C, B2B, B2B2C. You know, I've done all of that. B2G as well. Well, G equal to NHS, let's say, you know. So I've done that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a term, actually. B2G is a real term in certain companies. So I've done all of that, right? So when you've done so many different things and, you know, worked in, you know, five or six different sectors, you're always constantly looking to diversify your profile, right? So for me, I think this was one of the, the best diversification ever. Oh, well, there you go. And obviously, as a consultant, all about the diversification as well. I think it's really interesting to go out there and see lots of different types of company, which is obviously part of the fun of being in that consulting game so you know maybe you can do that one day too yeah but before all of that you started out as a techie yeah just like me so you started out i know you got a degree in engineering you started hacking away at code doing all the fun stuff you know on the keyboard solving problems with your bare hands then you moved into business analysis so you got a prince 2 certification along the way <laughs> somewhere as well so i'm sure you're very proud of that then you moved into product management and then ultimately product leadership where you sit today so I guess you could have gone down any of those paths, right? Like you could have stayed a developer, you could have become a really kick-ass business analyst, you could have done any of those things. What was it that attracted you specifically to product management? And I guess also yeah, to the path that you're on now, like wanting to be that bigger person, because not all techies want to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it really depends. I think the ambition is so different. Ambitions are different for different people, you know, and... Uh, it, I mean, two siblings might be might have completely different ambitions, you know. And and I have the best example in my own own home. Me and my sister, we have very different ambitions, right? And we were brought up exactly the same. So I would say ambition is very personal. And for me, I think after my engineering, you know, I came here, I did my MBA, and then I think after that, I I knew I had to lead organizations one day. I just didn't know how long that journey might take. 
And I had really good managers, really good mentors along the way who really kind of, they really validated a lot of my assumptions along the way. They all, they always said, yeah, you can do this. It's just literally, you have to grow up a bit more, like in terms of experience. So, you know, <laughs> kind of gather more experiences, you know, learn more things, do do cool things and, you know, you're going to get there. So sometimes it's a matter of time as well. I mean, you could be the brightest, I don't know, 25-year-old in town. That's how I thought I was, you know, uh, 10, 11 years ago. But that doesn't mean that you can run companies right away. You still need to learn. You still need to fight those battles. So it's a lot of blood and sweat, right? I mean, the world of product is like that. So for me, I think it was always about thinking the end game. I think for me, that was always very important. So even as a developer, I was... Sadly, I was a developer for a very short period of time. It's only because, you know, I did my higher ed after that. I was very good with people. So I was one of the very friendly, people-friendly developers, which is also a bit rare in a way, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was working in a consulting company and I was very client-facing, very client-facing. Clients loved me. I had a knack for just kind of forging relationships in a matter of seconds. And I think my bosses that time, my managers that time really... They saw that in me. And, you know, one of my bosses actually said to me, one of my clients actually said to me that, you know, Nam, you're so good with people. Like you've got this thing, you, you could do bigger things, you know, so you should either, you know, learn something new or just maybe change your career or do something bigger. And that's when I actually took a break to do my MBA. And then after that, there was no looking back. Uh, I mean, the UK was a very different world at that time. Product was not really a thing. You know, most product manager roles were actually commercial roles. You know, I still remember I was working at a telco company in, you know, quite early on in my career. And the product manager people were actually propositions people. So they were working on pricing. They were working on go to market. They had no clue what agile was. They had no clue what a scrum team is. They were not technical people at all. You know, it was a commercial role, actually. And for me, you know, I was, I think I got really lucky because for me, when I looked at that job, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do just propositions and a few slides. I mean, just, that was just not my thing. I wanted to actually build something, you know? And I think that's the time when the PO role, the product owner role, I think it was kind of in, in its nascency, you know? And I got into that. So my first product role was a PO role, <laughs> classic, a very textbook PO. So I was managing like a scrum team and writing Jira tickets and all of that. And I actually liked it because I could do the tech stuff, which I was really good with technology. And I'm still actually very, very technical. But at the same time, I was really good with stakeholder management. It came naturally to me because I'm a people person, you know. So for me, building relation with different teams comes naturally. I actually enjoy that kind of stuff, you know. So if you then combine your tech skills with your commercial skills and people management skills and people kind of relationship building skills, I think that's a good combination. And I still remember one of our career services people at Manchester, University of Manchester said to me, uh, she actually said to me, you know, Nam, I'm not worried about you at all. I think you've got a very different CV. <laughs> so I think you'll find your path, you know, because we used to go to the career services asking for help <laughs> all the time. Please guide <laughs> us, you know. And, and I remember one of, you know, those ladies said this to me that, you know, you're going to find your way. It's a very different CV. It's, it's quite rare from a lot of CVs we see. And for me, I felt that being a little different actually worked in my favor always because it made me stand out, I think. And, and I love, you know, I'm blessed that I did my computer science degree because I was supposed to do biotech actually back in 2003. That's a, that's a story in itself. But I was actually in the class of biotech and I changed into computer science after first week. And I now just remember how these little, little changes you make in life 
turns out to be phenomenal, like big changes, big bold steps, you know. So anyway, product started that way in the in the year kind of 2013, I think. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been quite, you know, a very hectic journey. It's not been a long journey for me. It's been quite short, actually, because my first CPA role was in 2020. So I have only done seven or eight years of real product management work before, you know, I say real product management because I know those are the years of, you know, your tears and sweat and whatnot. <laughs> and then the CPA role is, of course, a different level of tears and sweat, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, actually, I mean, obviously, you've always had some ambition from the sounds of it. And I know, obviously, that you do have the MBA. I know yeah, we've talked about that before. You went and got an MBA. You've done some other leadership programs along the way from universities as well. So you've obviously been really invested in supporting your career. And yeah, that's obviously something that I think is absolutely fantastic. I, th I wish more people would rather than just going in whichever direction seems convenient at the time. But there are certainly mixed opinions out there about the merits or lack of merits of, yeah. for example, MBAs in the context of product management. And I guess the question is whether you feel that doing all of these different business qualifications and courses whether that accelerated you into the C-suite, whether you feel that that helped you, because like you say, it was a relatively short journey for you. Yeah. And I'm definitely not going to say that it's a not merited journey, but at the same time, some people might look at that and think, well, how do you make, how do you do that so quickly? So do you think that all of this MBA and business learning was an accelerant or was it also through other efforts that you put in or other opportunities that you grasped when you saw the chance? So for me, I think it's just, again, it's a personality type for me. And I've done the same at Intu as well. I always look for new things to do, always. It's just I'm really hungry as a person when it comes to opportunities. And I would bring, I would create new opportunities. Like I would create a new revenue stream out of nowhere. And stuff like that, the senior leaders love, as you know, you know. Yep. Yeah, I don't actually do these type of things to impress anyone. I do these things because I like doing it. I'm just super entrepreneurial as a person. So I don't actually do things just because, oh, I want to impress person X or person Y. I never even think about who I'm impressing with what. I do it because it's a life lesson for me. And I feel like later on in my life, when I start my own company someday, it's probably going to help me out, you know? So I, I do for those kind of reasons. First of all, I, I don't think an MBA is needed if you want to be successful in product management or any field, to be honest. Maybe if you want to go into strategy consulting, you know, that's that's different. I don't think for product management, you, you need to do an MBA, but it definitely helps in leadership roles, I think, I would say, especially once you reach that VP level, I think, which is a hard one, right? Because the jump, you know, it might look like it's super easy, you're VP of product, and you're going to be a CPO very easily. It's not actually. So the jump from a VP role or a director role to a C-suite role, I'm talking about, you know, C-suite in a, let's say, mid-large size company, it's not easy, actually. It's really difficult, you know. And once you're in the C-suite role, staying in the C-suite role, that's also very difficult, right? So getting there is difficult, but then staying there, sustaining there and thriving there is, is probably even more difficult. So I would say the, in my case, the MBA definitely helped. I also want to just point out in this podcast that my MBA was partly funded by the British Council. I was a British Council scholar for the year 2011. There were eight students selected from India after a very rigorous process. I had to write essays, give interviews in the British Council panel interview and whatnot. And this is way back. I'm talking about 2010 now, you know, and I did all of these things and I got 
a really good scholarship. I was very lucky, I think, to get the scholarship. It was only eight of us in the whole of India, which is a huge country, as you know. So I was really lucky. I would say that scholarship helped me. It was not a 100% scholarship, but it was a good percentage. That helped me a lot in funding my MBA. And the rest was obviously loans, a bit of help from my parents as well. So it wasn't that, you know, it was on a plate for me. It was not. It was a lot of hard work. But I, I would also say there are different executive programs out there, which could also help if you never had the time or the chance to do an MBA. For example, I've done a leadership program at Harvard Business School in 2020. This is pre-COVID. And this was in February that year. And that was probably the best experience, one of the best experiences of my life. It was almost a, a, a mini MBA. So for me, it was almost like doing an MBA again in a matter of you know, a few days. And it was a residential program. So I got to stay there. I got to live uh, in the HBS, you know, amazing campus, spend a lot of time with the different, you know, amazing professors. And, and I also got, got, got to spend some time with the Harvard Kennedy School, which is the, pol- the School of Politics. So learned a lot of stuff in a short period of time. And I would say, you know, these are investments in yourself. You know, no one funded me for these things, right? It's my savings. I saved a lot of money. And then I was like, fine, let me do this. And you know what? I think after a few years, I might go back to university again to do another exact program. It's just, I am a bit like that. Um, my mom is a teacher. That could be the reason. But there is a bit of that academic, you know, that love for academia that's there in me. So maybe it's a family thing. I don't know. But there are a lot of people in my family who are from academia. So could be a reason. But I love studying. I just love learning new things. So for me, I think going back to university is a pleasure for me. Like even now, when I'm super tired or frustrated with my life, the one thing I wish is I wish I could go back to university, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I love some of these things. So I think education, learning new things is never a waste. If we can afford to spend, you know, invest on ourselves and learn new things, we should definitely do. But nowadays, to be honest, there's so many things, even free of cost. You don't even need to invest anymore. There's so much free resources out there. Learning definitely helps. And I would say in exec roles, I think that the thinking, the business thinking is super important. Thinking about profitability, when you're coming up with a new business idea, thinking about profitability is very important. Just showing the board that a growth model is not enough anymore. You have to also show profitability or how your idea would reach profitability, you know? So it is scale with profits, unfortunately. That's just the way the world is now. And I think that's how it should be, to be honest, because if you look at the most sustainable businesses in the world, the big companies who've been around for 100 plus years, they exist only because they are sustainable business, they are highly profitable. And, you know, there should be more and more such companies in the world, I feel, you know, so I would say from a business perspective, and also understanding how to kind of do storytelling, uh, from an exec perspective, I would say the MBA helps in those kind of little things. But otherwise, I, I don't think it's like a directly relevant to an exec role. I just want to wiggle the tooth a little bit on some of the difficulties or the struggles that you kind of touched on around yeah. heads of product, directors of product, maybe even VPs of product, then getting to be the chief product officer or trying to be the chief product officer. Maybe they get in, maybe they don't. There's been a bunch of different people that I've spoken to in the past and that themselves are continuing to speak about the difficulties of, of making that leap and the kind of the idea that even when you get to the big table, like the top table, it's almost as one person once memorably told me was like, it's almost like you're there with crayons and, and paper sort of on a child's seat in the corner because you've, <laughs> you don't really see these people as peers or you don't really have the same 
kind of input with these people as maybe you might expect. Now, you've obviously tackled that with, for example, getting your MBA, doing all of these different business courses and, and helping to put yourself into that frame of mind and really taking this from a kind of a business perspective and really understanding what moves these people and what makes a successful company. Is that the only difference, for example, or is that the biggest difference between being, for example, a really good either senior individual contributor that's become a leader, head of product or VP of product or something like that? Is it just that business thinking that differentiates like the best VPs of product from the best CPOs or are there other aspects that you think that these people should kind of beef up a little bit? Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of things. And, you know, you could be really good at product management. I am, I would say I was, I was more hands-on a few years ago than today. And I think a lot of times what happens is you would think, right, I'm so good at my job. I do exactly what, you know, I do more than what I'm supposed to do, actually. But I'm still not getting those C-suite roles and I'm still not being taken seriously for the C-suite team or whatever, right? I think, first of all, I think that jump from, let's say, a VP or a director to a CPO, first of all, it's a very big jump, actually, a really, really big jump. You really do need to prepare yourself for that jump. Now, I did, as I said, in 2020, I was working in a company called Viacom, which is Paramount, a big media you know, entertainment company. I was a senior director that time. So senior director, VP, it's a VP level role, basically. So I was leading product for our European business, um, really big portfolio, big team. And I chose 2020 because I, that was a year. This is all before COVID, by the way. So I was just kind of thinking in my head that end of this year, I'm going to try for CPO roles. That was just my dream, you know. So that's the reason I actually went to Harvard all the way, spent ridiculous amount of money and did the exact um, leadership program. Now, in my case, I would say I got the ROI within eight months because after exactly after eight months, I got my first CPO role. Did that course help me? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't know, actually, to be honest. But maybe it gave me a bit of like a new perspective in a way I saw things. And that probably helped me during my interview, I'm guessing, you know. So these things are never quantifiable directly. You only have to kind of find, you know, reasoning how, how it might have helped. But what I would say is, is an exec, of course, first of all, just because I'm good at product, I would be a great exec. That is not true. You know, some amazing product experts in the world might not be a good CPO or might not be a good C-suite executive in general. That's number one. The second thing is being you know, a subject matter expert in something like you could be shit hot with, I don't know, preparing, uh, creating subscription businesses or whatever, you know, but that doesn't mean that you will become, you will be a great CPO in, in such a company, you know, like, again, it, it's not directly related, associated, these separate things, right? So I would say what, as an exec, there are many things. First of all, understanding the broader business is very important. So you need to understand how finance works, how, why compliance is important, how marketing works and all that. So understand having that broader view of how a company is run is very important. Number one. The second thing is, I think the executive presence is also important. I hate to say this, but it's actually quite important. Ooh. It's important, but it's just, that's just how it is. Again, types of company. I'm not saying it's true for any company, but if you are in, let's say, a kind of a company with, I don't know, 500 plus, you know, 500 million plus revenue, that kind of size, I think the executive presence does matter. The other thing is storytelling, you know. So most probably in organizations which are, which are larger in size, the board would, 
99% chance the board will not be from product background. They would probably come from very different types of backgrounds, you know, very, very diverse. And the boards are quite big in size as well. So the board could be people like 15 plus people or 12 plus people, which is quite a big board, right? So first of all, again, building relationship with each board member is quite important. And secondly, speaking their language, you know, it's important to understand them because then you can speak their language and explain them things in their language. It's it's super important, right? Because you only meet the board once in three months, if you think of it. There's only every quarter, right? That it's there's not enough time actually to express yourself, you know, to to the board and for them to understand you as well. So I would say again, understanding, you know. How do you want to tell your story? Like in a nutshell, how do you explain what your team does? Can you explain it in one sentence? And I think most product people, including myself, we find it very hard to explain it in one (laughs) sentence. And I think that's the biggest problem, right? And it's a problem for me as well, you know? So a lot of us find it quite hard to explain what we do or what our team does in one sentence. Forget about one word. It's, it's, It's very difficult in one sentence, right? So I would say come up with that punchy proposition in a way, like what is your proposition as a CPO? What does your team actually do? And what is your team's, you know, what value they're adding to the company, the overall business? If you can summarize that nicely to the board and the shareholders, I think half of the job is really done. So again, that is the biggest difference, I think, for a CPO role versus, let's say, a director or VP, because I think as a VP or director, you probably have someone else who you report to who does that for you, you know? So for me, unfortunately, there is nobody who could do that for you. It has to be just myself. And I also have to constantly protect my team. That's another thing. And that can be exhausting, right? Yeah. Protecting your budgets, protecting your team, protecting, you know, all of that can be equally exhausting as well. So, yeah, I mean, these roles are difficult roles. They're hard roles, but at the same time, they're extremely rewarding. But I would definitely say there's a big jump. There's a big difference between leading a product team versus leading an entire function, let's say a a department where you have product, maybe marketing, maybe data, maybe design, you know, a lot of other things. It's it's a different mindset as well. No, absolutely. Well, hopefully we can continue to support people on that journey. And I know that there are a lot of programs out there now to try and help support people in those career paths as well. So looking forward to seeing even more great product people getting into that role rather than just sort of parachuting in strategy people from elsewhere that then have no idea about products so i'm a big advocate of getting the kind of the bottoms up approach and getting more of those ics to become the business leaders that we need them to be but you know the journey continues but talking about that journey and talking about career support in general you've also set up women in product uk now that's been going for a few years now i believe it's even slightly older than this podcast (laughs) so we've both been doing this for far too long but I've spoken to a few people, primarily in the US, who are already part of women in product chapters. And I know that there's alternative women in product communities in the UK as well. So is your community related to the quote unquote official women in product that you hear about in the US or is it a different thing entirely? No, it's not at all. I mean, um, yeah, so women in, I created women in product UK in 2020, again, in the middle of the, you know, lockdowns. And everyone needs a hobby, right? Everyone needs a hobby. So this is my, this was my hobby. And, and there was a reason because I used to run, I, well, I still run another community. It's a mums, you know, it's a, it's a working mums community on Facebook, actually, which is, it's a great, it's a great resource. There's about 2000 mums from the whole of UK. It's a really, really high powered community. And because that was so successful, I thought, let me create this product focus one because product is ultimately my day job, you know? So 
I created this on LinkedIn initially. And LinkedIn, yeah, a lot of people joined. It, uh, you know, LinkedIn groups are, you know, it's okay. It's a hit and miss. It's not the most interactive. <laughs> well, I tried. But anyway, I created that in 2020 and a lot of people joined. And then I created a Facebook group because everybody said, oh, we should have a Facebook group. So I created that one. And then only this year, actually, I think this year, January, I created the WhatsApp. And that's because a few members had DM'd me and said, you know, let's do a WhatsApp group. It might be better. So I was just waiting for the right moment. So this year, January, I started it and actually that exploded. So even though this community started in 2020, I think the real community vibe actually was created this year, I would say, because it's been doing very well. It was very active. And now it just continues to grow and grow and grow and, and very organic as well. We do much. We, we, so I've never actually done an event for women in product before. This was the first year where we ended up doing an event. So three years was just no events, nothing. It was just a group, or quite a passive group in a way, you know? So I think we've been quite lucky along the way as well. The Women in Product US is completely separate. I actually didn't know about its existence. And I've recently spoken to somebody, you know, the person who runs it, in fact, and it sounds like they're doing a brilliant job. They're a charity. They're a registered charity in the US. Uh, they've been running for, I think, eight years or something. So quite mature, you know, in its kind of where they are. And they do different programs. They do different events as well. So very different. We are very different. I mean, Women in Product UK has nothing to do with Women in Product US. It's completely separate. And yeah, I mean, you know, UK is a much smaller country than US. We don't have so many different, you know, states or something. So I'd love to have chapters. I mean, definitely the, the main cities, especially Birmingham, Manchester, some of the university cities as well. I'm, I'm looking, I'm targeting at the moment because I do have you know, relationship with some of the different universities, you know, uh, along the way. And I think it'll be good to have some hubs, especially in university cities, I would say, because that's where the talent sits ultimately. And I think those are great resources to kind of use. But as of now, it's very um, London heavy, I would say the events are very much London. And yeah, I mean, it's growing a lot. We are about 1500 plus at the moment. I'm pretty sure we will be several more thousands in a few years time. And yeah, I think I really, I have high hopes and high ambitions, I would say, for women in product. I think we can really build an amazing ecosystem. So it's not about a community. I'm actually, I want to build an ecosystem, you know, where we can help, you know, other members, obviously, but also bring the entire community, like the entire ecosystem of product management together. You know, that would include different, you know, recruiters or search firms different brands, different companies who are looking to hire product people, different organizations who just operate in our product ecosystem as well. So I'm, I have quite big plans, but for now, I think it's baby steps. Well, absolutely. We're product people. We need to iterate, right? But you're yes. a product leader yourself. You've built products all over the place, obviously, to start with yourself and now moving into leadership roles. Been very successful so far. You know a thing or two about a thing or two, right? <laughs> and I'm assuming that you're based on what you just said, you're treating Women in Product UK very much as a product itself. Like you say, it's kind of a community at the moment. You've got this grand vision where it's going to be this much bigger thing, almost like an everything app for product people in the UK to use some other business person's uh, phraseology. <laughs> but you've also got the community building expertise, I guess, that you've also got from within into as well. Like you say, there's kind of a community aspect to that. Yeah. So did it feel very natural to build this stuff again with your experience with the Facebook group for the the working mums as well was it just a really natural thing or did you have to learn a whole new special set of skills to 
kind of get this up and running and kind of maintain its growth and, and keep it successful? No, I think, you know, community building, to be honest, I don't actually think anyone can teach anyone community building. It's one of those things, you know, like you just, you have that naturally you would know how to do it. And there could be different strategies, of course. And I, I look as a product person, obviously, I know how, what good acquisition look like, looks like. I do know what good retention looks like. I definitely use pirate metrics, even for the communities I built as well. So that's in the back of my head. But in terms of why did I build it? Yeah, it's, look, I mean, even when I was in school, I remember with my, you know, group of friends, I would probably be the one organizing, I don't know, like a dinner or like, I don't know, whatever. So these little things that we used to do, just going out with my friends or whatever, you know. And I was the same in college as well. So I've always been quite a community person, I think, you know, just naturally. So it comes quite naturally to me, organizing things, bringing people together. You know, I don't know if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point. He It's a brilliant book, first of all. Um, so, I mean, in his book, actually, he explains the different types of people that exist in this world. So people like me, he calls us connectors. You know, so we are connected. We are good connectors. I think you're one of them as well, Jason, actually. You're really good at connecting. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I think we are connectors, but we are natural connectors. Nobody has taught us how to join the dots. We just know how to do it, you know? And I feel like people like us can do bigger things, right? So for me, I'm, I think I'm a natural connector. And I feel like that's why community building doesn't exhaust me. It actually energizes me. It gives me more power. It gives me more energy. You know, I just wake up happy thinking that I'm able to do all these amazing things. So for me, it's, it's a typical, you know, passion project for me. And yes, I think if I look at that way, this is my product in a way, you know, and, and I've done exactly that. So recently I opened up applications to become women in product volunteers because clearly I can't scale myself enough. I need a team, you know, and I got loads and loads of different applications, really, really good, really solid people. And after an interview process, we kind of came up to, I think, 32 now. We've got 32 volunteers, which is quite big already. So I feel like I'm a startup with 32 employees from day one. But they, the only difference is they're not my employees. We are founding members. So we are all kind of similar, equal level, I would say. So it's not like a staff or something like that. But you're starting something with 32 plus me, so 33 people, which is quite big already. And when it's 33 of us, I think we can scale much more rapidly compared to if it was just me alone. I've actually divided everybody into squads as well. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I have, there you go. Exactly. I've got an event squad. I've got a community squad. I've got a proposition squad. I've got a brand squad as well, actually. So we are properly, we are a proper organization. And I think the beauty of a product community is that product managers are so multifaceted, so multi-talented in many ways in terms of skills that you can actually build these type of squads in a product community, you know? Because their designers are in, in there as well, isn't it? So my, my brand squad has a few designers in there, which, you know, I'm obviously really fortunate. So I'm definitely treating it like a product. And that's why I've divided, you know, people into squads and stuff like that. So yeah, let's see where it goes. But I think I would love to make it a very scalable product. Well, that's an interesting thing about the product side of things and like treating it as a product because, you know, us product people we put up people we love metrics right we love north stars we love goals we love visions yeah we love to measure success so 
What does success look like for you with the Women in Product UK community? I mean, aside from, say, number of people signing up, are there any kind of concrete KPIs that you're shooting for, any kind of measures of success that you'd sit there and go, yeah, yeah, we cracked it? Yeah, so I think we've had a few success stories already, actually. I've had recently someone who came from a very unrelated sector and wanted to move into product and got a lot of resources and help and mentoring within the community and landed her first product role recently, you know, so that was an amazing career pivot story. And it only happened in a matter of few months. So pretty fast, you know, so pivoting fast in a horrific job environment, you know, working around like, like this year, like this year has been quite bad, the job market, right? So pivoting into a new role in this climate, I think is quite amazing. So I think we've had such similar stories as well. So we had a few successes and in terms of the North Star, I mean, for me, I think the key differentiator that I think Women in Product UK has is the range of people. Because, you know, I've looked at a lot of other communities out there. You either have communities where you have um, PMs and senior PMs hanging out, or you've got communities where there's a bunch of head offs and VPs hanging out, or there's few like Chief, I'm I'm, I'm founding member of Chief, for example, which is exclusively for C-suite only, you know? So there's, it's quite a division. There's a lot of division in these communities as well, which I don't think really, I mean, it's fine, but I wanted to build something which kind of breaks those barriers and divisions. Because I think, I mean, when I was a PM, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, actually, Jason, on this, because when I was a PM, you know, like a million years ago, <laughs> I did not know any CPO. I mean, there's not many of that that existed, to be honest, but I didn't even know a VP of product by their first name, for example, like I wouldn't have had a, a coffee with them or, or or even a call with them, you know, I might, I, w- I don't even think I had a LinkedIn connection who was a VP of product. It's just my reach was different. I did not know people who were that senior, you know, and I feel that was a limiting factor, you know, because if I had known those people, maybe they would have been amazing mentors for me. Maybe they would have told me things that I shouldn't do because <laughs> I've learned by mistakes as well, right? Doing a lot of mistakes. So, I think today's PMs, I don't want them to face the issues I faced. I, I don't want them to have the same limitations I had. So at the moment, through Women in Product UK, any PM or APM or even an analyst, whatever role you're doing, you can have a direct access to CPOs like myself and a bunch of our common friends, Jason. And the CPOs are you know, super interactive. They would answer the question. They would give you know, examples of their own life and how they have dealt with. And I think that is gold. That's pure gold. There is not that many places or not that many communities where you get that kind of accessibility, free of cost, right? Because it's a, it's, it's a free community. So I would say that is where the differentiator, that, that's a differentiation, I would say, in for women in product. And it's just the sharing, the support, like a bunch of PMs currently, and this happened only today, are actually creating a support group where they're going to do mock interviews for each other. I mean, I first of all, I didn't do any of that. Like, I didn't organize them, just so you know. They organized themselves, and they're now doing mock interviews. So, I mean, it's amazing to see this type of trust and sisterhood. And it's so organic. It's not forced by anyone. So, for me, I think there is something magical here, which is not there in a lot of other communities. So, for me... At the moment, I can't tell you in one word what my North Star is. But if I say my North Star is to achieve that amount of trust and camaraderie and friendship, maybe we have even achieved that, to be honest, you know? So I don't know at the moment what the ultimate North Star is. 
But in terms of engagement, in terms of help, I think we, we are there already. Well, watch this space for the North Star metrics, but a certain type of man, yeah, type of man who complains about International Women's Day every year, an idiot, let's face it, <laughs> might object to the concept of a women's group in the first place. They might sit there and say, well, why do we need a women in product group? Why can't we just have a people in product group and start muttering away and dropping bits of potato chip over themselves? So let's pretend for a second that I'm that kind of man. What are some of the unique challenges or general reasons that a women in product group is so important to the community rather than just some kind of people in product group that basically anyone can join? I think the answer is very simple. I'm not going to swear, Jason. I actually don't swear you can at swear. all. You can swear. <laughs> I don't swear. It's a problem. <laughs> you swore earlier. <laughs> well, so, you know, my answer would be, you know, just look at Pick five companies, global, whatever company, whatever size, just pick five companies, look at the C-suite of these companies, look at the senior levels or any level, really. Is it 50-50 is my question. Is it 50? Do you think it's 50-50? Most probably the answer is it's not 50-50, especially in the senior levels. I think that exactly is the reason why I have this community, because I feel that there is absolutely no point in screaming and shouting when you're at the C-level and saying we don't have enough women in the C-suite. Pipeline management is everything. It's all about the pipeline. And I think women in product exists because we are creating that pipeline for future leaders, right? And I'm speaking to a bunch of universities now as well, as I said, business schools and universities. And I'm speaking to them, the career services and saying, hey, I can come, I'll speak to your students, whoever's interested in product and, you know, encourage them, motivate them. Why do you think I'm doing that? I don't need any money from them. It's, it's not a commercial deal. I just want people to know that these type of careers exist. So that more and more women can get into product management. You know, I never had that support. I never had any of that. So I don't want others not to have it. I want them to have it. That's why this type of community exists. Because I feel like if we have a great pipeline of women right from a junior PM level, then of course there will be the pipeline for the CPO and VP roles will be more and more and more, you know, much solid, much stronger. And I feel like at the moment when you, you, you ask a CEO, why don't you have enough women in your, in your C-suite? And they, they can very easily say, well, there's not enough candidates. Now, once you have a solid pipeline, nobody can say there's not enough candidates because there will be enough candidates. So I think in a way, I'm creating a pipeline here. I'm creating the candidates, the right candidates for, for those you know, big roles. And that's why I think women in product is important. Having said that, I've always made it very clear that allies and sponsors are very much welcome for women in product. So what that means is allyship. Again, I, I really believe in that. It means that if you are a male CPO or, or VP of product, you know, just like yourself, Jason, and you've done this, actually, you're amazing because I know you're one of the oh, first. shucks. You're one of the first people. I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to just tell everyone publicly, but you're one of the first people who said to me, give me the link. I'll share it with my team. And I think that's really sweet. And a lot of my, you know, male friends, CPO friends, you know, have come to me exactly, they've done exactly the same. They've taken the link to these community groups, they've shared it with their female colleagues, and all of them have joined, you know. So that's true allyship, I think. And that's exactly I expect. So if you're an ally of women in product, you know, you're, you're definitely welcome to the community. You can join, you can, you know, share your thoughts. And then again, if you have jobs in your teams and you really want a diverse team, then I would say, you know, please share those jobs with me so that I can share in the community. So yeah, it's not just, it's men are not banned or anything like that, but it's definitely... <laughs> oh, they should be. <laughs> it's definitely female focus, 
But that doesn't mean that, I mean, for the events that we have in October and then there's a big one in November, I'm actually very happy to say for the November event, we actually have 50-50 RSVP so far. So it's 50% men, 50% women which is amazing. And I think for the October event, we haven't gone live with that yet. Once we go live with that, I'm pretty sure it's going to be equal number as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is women in product, but in terms of, you know, if you are a big supporter of the community, big supporter of what we do, you know, it doesn't matter what gender you are, you're most welcome. No, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we've obviously spoken about this before, the idea that it's important to have that pipeline. I think, you know, one of the other things that I mean, you've said it yourself as well, this idea that it's an easy get out for some of these people to sit there and say, well, well, there's just no one applying. And obviously, there's going to be a bunch of reasons why there's no one applying. In some cases, it's going to be because the company has a really bad reputation. Yeah. You know, maybe a misogynistic reputation. Or in some cases, it's going to be because the job ad itself is just this horrendous, like, yeah. there's these kind of websites you can use that almost rate the job ads to say, like, how kind of gender coded they are and like whether they're going to put off certain groups or not. But there's always this kind of, there's nothing we can do. We can't hire people that don't exist. And it feels like there is still a lot of work to do in those areas. So obviously anything that we can do like with your group and obviously anything that the general community can do, I think is absolutely important and should be supported. So absolutely, I will try and do my own little small part of that as well by, you know, like letting all your people come into my drinks, you know, it's... Uh, I think they're doing that already. <laughs> You're definitely an ally. I, I got a message from somebody, one of my members today, saying Jason Knight is an ally. So oh, there you abs- go. Absolutely he is. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down all the misogynist communities that I'm part of. <laughs> <laughs> but where can people then find you after this if they want to connect up, find out more about Women in Product UK, the CPO track community that you're setting up, or see if they can snag an invite to one of my social events? Yeah, I mean, you know, the best place to find me is probably on LinkedIn send me a dm send me a message if you want to have a chat in terms of how if first of all if you want to join the community or if you want to be involved in certain ways maybe sponsoring one of our events or if you want to give a talk or whatever it is please you know reach out to me i do i'm quite good at replying to emails or replying to messages so i'm i'm i promise i will get back to you <laughs> quite fast <laughs> well fair enough i'll make sure to put links to your linkedin and all your community all your websites into the show notes so yeah people can come and stampede in your direction well obviously that's been a fantastic chat i always enjoy our conversations and obviously also really interesting to hear about your plans to build this entire ecosystem around the world of products so watch this space and looking forward to seeing some exciting developments obviously we'll keep talking but as for now thanks for taking the time thank you jason bye-bye as always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. <laughs> <laughs>